Welcome to the Mind Design Sports Podcast. I'm Brandon, and in each episode, I'll be talking about sports psychology with the guest speaker. If you want to design your sports experience, you've come to the right place. If you want more tips and insights on how to improve your sports performance mentally, check out our website and other podcasts at mind-designsports.org. Hello, everyone. Today, we have very special guests, Armin Hose and Tori Trogio. Is that how you pronounce your name, Tori? Trogio. Trogio. All right, perfect. And from SportsEc MDs, and they're also our partners. So happy to have you guys on. Armin and Tori are both co-founders of SportsEc MDs and are both psychiatrists who both have great sports background and knowledge. Today, we'll be chatting about general sports psychology techniques, touching on the men- mental fitness program that they have with foundational pieces of gratitude, mindfulness, communication, and confidence. And hopefully we can touch on these topics. And I think highlighting these would be super helpful for the audience. And thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it, man. Happy to be here. Go, let's do it. All right. Just tell us about your sports background and uh, maybe what sports you played back then. For sure. Uh, You want to start or I could start? Um, Well, go for it. So I actually really loved football as a kid. And for, you know, obviously they can't see me, the audience, but uh, I'm a pretty thin dude now. um, And I've always actually been slender, but, um, you know, when you're, 13 years old, 14 years old, you can get away with that. Um, I was super fast and I uh, had pretty good hands. Um, so yeah, I loved uh, football. That was, that was definitely my thing. And um, I played JV ball uh, in high school, played tight end and I played uh, free safety. Had a lot of fun with that. Um, didn't make it up to the varsity level because my mom wanted me to kind of focus on, on my grades. So I didn't play more than two years, but uh, loved football. I also played, I also ran track. Um, that was another sport for me. Track was more like something that helped me kind of stay in shape for football, though. Um, I was a sprinter, uh, ran the 400 primarily, a uh, little, bit, little bit of the 200. And um, aside from that, I actually did venture out a little bit um, when I was uh, in my senior year, and I kind of already knew what I was where I was going for college. I didn't have to worry about the grades so much. So I actually tried tennis um, that spring and had, had a lot of fun learning something kind of a little bit different, um, something that was more of like, you know, a sport you can play well into your, you know, your older years. And then uh, golf is something that, you know, I kind of took up as an adult and, you know, I love that. So that's me. Oh, yeah. That's my sports background. Oh, yeah. Dr. Hose and I play a lot of golf these days. For sure, well, not yeah. enough, not enough golf. Um, yeah, for me, uh, I, I played it all growing up as in like grade school, but, uh, kind of got funneled into the, your classic American sports, baseball and football into high school, uh, made the varsity teams both, but pretty much a bench warmer for the most part. Um, I think football was by far my favorite sport, but similarly to Armin, I was, I was the smallest guy freshman year of high school. So yeah, I got, um, I got funneled into the all American sports. I played baseball and football, but I wasn't very good. Pretty much a bench warmer. I was that raw, raw guy. That's that steady guy. We'll get into that later possibly. Um, but yeah, football is probably my favorite sport, but similarly to Armin, I was probably like freshman year of high school, 105 pounds soaking wet. If you can believe that. And then, uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't uh, that baseball, bad. I loved it. I love the camaraderie. <laughs> and, and, but... <laughs> yeah. So I was, like I was never going to have a <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice, nice. I was never going to have a career uh, in sports or, or playing college. 
Um, but I loved it. And I learned so many life lessons through playing team sports. And I did a little track as well. So I had a little taste of individual sports, but I, I love playing team sports and that, uh, I've always been a fan, um, just about any sport. I still love football the best though and basketball now. Uh, but yeah, so that, that kind of laid the foundation for my work ethic, uh, nowadays and, and, uh, led me oh, to yeah. become a Armin and I bonded over our love for sports. So that's why we, uh, we became sports psychiatrists and started sports like MDs. So you guys played so many sports, like how have your experience in each one of them kind of built you and uh, any lessons that taught you? For me, it's all about resilience. Yeah. Being like one of the shorter, smallest guys playing a sport like football, uh, you learn uh, that you have to, you have to learn new ways to, to overcome um, or you, you, sorry, you have to, you have to rely on your, your strengths. You have to figure out new ways to, uh, get around the bigger guy or, um, cause you know, you can't run through them. Um, so you have to, you have to develop different strengths that you have to pay attention to the playbook. You have to listen to your coaches to good, be a good team player. Um, you have, you learn the, essentially what I'm saying is you learn, you learn the value of hard work. Um, because if you're not the biggest, strongest, fastest person, you have to work harder than everyone else to, to be on the team, to make an impact. So that's why I learned. I learned how to bounce back. I learned how to work hard um, all through sports. Got it. Yeah, definitely. You know, like that's, that's really well put. I mean, it's uh, when you're a kid, you know, there, there aren't a whole lot. You're not like a you know, a person that's actually independent, you know, in the world doing your thing, you're kind of protected by your parents for the most part, you know, so it's, it's hard to have like, you know, a lot of life lessons as a kid, you know, and, and opportunities to really like, like, you know, test yourself and really, you know, do something, you know, that that's, uh, that's a challenge, you know, and, and I think that you learned so many great lessons through sports, through participation in sports, any sport, you know, uh, it could be a team sport or an individual sport. Um, but whatever it is, it's just about, you know, trying to, to you know, create a, a better version of yourself. And that's something I think that is a universal thing, like anybody, no matter where you're from, right, no matter what your background is, you can get behind the idea of, you know, trying to get better you know, trying to improve yourself, your skill set, whatever it is, especially when you recognize that you have a talent, you know, in, in something that um, is, is extraordinary, you know, something that uh, makes you special. Like you're going to want to find a way to, you know, to really understand that more, right? And, and, and make the most of that because that feels good. It makes you feel good about yourself. So that's what I had for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's what sports did for me is it helped me. I, you know, I, I was always a kind of a fast guy, you know, uh, and it gave me an opportunity to be competitive and, and, and to, you know, feel what it's like to win, you know, and be great at something or at least attempt mm-hmm. to, you know, and that's, that's, it's such an important uh, experience to have when you're that, when you're that young. Yeah. I think sports. Yeah. I, I love back the, on the, Oh no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think the beauty of it is you get immediate feedback. You get the res- you get results and you can see those results. You get external validation from fans or from coaches or for other teammates. And you don't get that in a lot of other walks of life. Um, so in order to, you practice, 
your free throws. Positive reinforcement, I think, is helpful to see as a young kid developing confidence. Yeah, exactly. I think sports, when you look back on it and when people stop playing, they start to see the benefits and the lessons it's learned through those experiences. And yeah, definitely like the topics you guys hit on, like hard work, resilience, definitely is what sports has brought for a lot of athletes out there. So you guys are both psychiatrists. For young listeners out there, what is that specifically and how does it relate to sports psychology? Great question. Million dollar question. Um, So most people... Probably, especially if you're a kid, like psychiatry, psychiatrist could actually be kind of a scary word. Um, Because, you know, like when I was a kid, I I remember like there were certain associations I had with movies, right? Like, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest or something like that, where like you have people in in, in literally like a crazy house, you know, like a hospital where people are kind of, you know, bouncing off the walls in straight jackets and then you see this doctor, right? That's like supposed to be a part of this. And you're like, the hell, you know, it, it's crazy. Um, so, you know, people could have that impression of a psychiatrist. That is kind of part of what we do. Um, but it's actually this ridiculously multifaceted field. Um, I, had, I couldn't have appreciated how uh, extraordinarily broad and wide ranging it is uh, until I got into it, you know, got into medical school and everything. But his bottom line is, if you think about mental health, right, and I think a lot, a lot of people do understand what that means more nowadays, but, you know, it's, 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 it's how to kind of like have stability with, you know, your, your, the way you think about things and perceive things, you know, how you feel about things and ultimately how those things uh, make you behave and, you know, how they influence your decisions. That's mental health. So we are medical doctors that try to, to find different ways through, uh, through medicines, you know, med- medical interventions and therapies, various therapies of making those types of challenges better. That's, that's pretty much in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything to add to that, that tour? Okay. I don't think I have to add to that. No. Cool. That's good. Um, you guys use the term mental fitness a lot. What does that mean to you? And how does it relate to an athlete? How can an athlete learn what that means and kind of apply to their life? Mental fitness, man. I mean, that, that's like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's mental fitness is actually, I think, um, a, a term that could either become one of like the, the kind of most important and most widely used terms uh, in the dictionary to something that um, maybe we, you know, we never use again in a couple of years because you know, of, of kind of the connotation that it could, it could potentially have. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So on one hand, mental fitness is uh, physical fitness of the mind which that's, that's great. That's amazing, right? I mean, any, any time you're talking about a subject matter in which I can condition and improve and strengthen and, you know, make more resilient, you know, my mind, you know, how I think about things, my emotions, that's, that's great. Um, and we've seen that there's a lot of different companies, particularly in digital health and tech, um, like Headspace, Calm, right? They've really kind of 
taken on this whole notion of mental fitness, right? And they're saying that mental fitness is about meditation, mindfulness, and using these types of skills to problem solve and to eliminate stress. Okay, well, that's one way of kind of looking at it. On the other hand, you know, a lot of folks, regular folks, not doctors and, you know, professionals in the field, but a lot of folks, I think, are a little, well, I don't want to say concerned, but I think that the term fitness and, you know, active and so forth, you know, the activity comes with fitness, you think physical fitness, but pairing that with mental, um, I don't, you know, is that the best, is that the way we really want to think about things? Um, A lot of people kind of think maybe that, that suggests that, you know, my mind is on overdrive or my mind is like having to be active, right? When a lot of people just want to relax and chill and, and find ways to unwind. And for those people, I think wellness is actually probably a word that um, resonates a little bit better. And so what we like to do is kind of go between these two terms, mental fitness on the one hand, which is, you know, how do we condition our mind to solve problems better um, and to find ways to eliminate stress. But then on the other hand, you know, how do we find ways to, uh, to also relax our minds, right? Cause relax our minds helps us then relax our bodies. And it gives us that chance to like kind of decompress. And it's that balance, right? That is really what you want to achieve in mental health, right? It's on the one hand, you know, how do we, you know, really like get the best out of ourselves, challenge ourselves, you know, learn new things, expand our minds. But then on the other hand, when we need to rest and decompress, process, you know, what we've learned and, you know, and unwind and, and frankly, engage in the world around us, right? Not just on the thing that we're focused on, but in our relationships, you know, with our families, with our friends, you know, our communities, right? How do we get there as well? and dedicate to that, how do you get that balance? And that's wellness. So, I, you know, we, we kind of like to talk about the dichotomy between those. Yeah, uh, just to piggyback on that, and I don't wanna belabor it too long, but I see mental fitness as a dynamic process. It's not like an end goal you, you, you reach. It's, it's a process that you continue to do throughout your life. And essentially you're becoming aware of your own thoughts, emotions, and actions, and how they're all related. And once you have that awareness, you're, you're going to have a more of an internal sense of control over everything and a control over your dynasty or destiny, excuse me. Um, and also gratitude. That's another practice that creates that positive movement momentum for you to move forward. And then communication. These are the fundamentals because communication, you need to be able to communicate with others. You can't always do it on your own. Now, the ideally, if you do these mental fitness practices, you can overcome challenges without necessarily asking for help or needing help, but you know, when to ask for help and when to, to look to, you're not, you're going to be able to put your ego aside if you need help. And at the end of the day, that gives you the ability to bounce back. That gives you resilience. And that is the process of mental fitness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Tori's mentioned that term resilience a few times, and it, it really can't be understated. Um, the importance of that, you know, cause when you think about resilience, uh, you're talking about not you know necessarily just mental toughness, right? And just you know being able to withstand stress—that's part of it. Um, but it's also 
about this 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 notion of um, being balanced on the one hand, right? Really being being balanced because that's the thing. Like we've seen this in society, right? You know, for for a long time now, where things just aren't really balanced. You kind of have one side or the other, you know, in terms of how people think about things and appraise things, and and really that's always going to be where where things kind of go go wrong. You know, mental fitness teaches that you really want to to look at both sides of just like a problem, look at both sides of a problem before you you jump to a conclusion. You also want to do that when you look on the inside. You know, you want to look at you know both sides and 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 then you know try to find that that kind of happy medium um, when it comes to how you you know how you feel about things, you know, how you relate to things. Since we're talking about resilience and this notion of balance, I think about Steph Curry, right, as, as this great example of a resilient athlete, particularly in, in terms of the way that he really stays balanced throughout the game. You know, he's a guy that you see him after the, the game and the post-game interviews and stuff like that. He just has this personality. You can tell that it doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, right? He's an even keel guy. His perspectives are usually very even keel and balanced. Um, and on the court, right? That's, you know, he doesn't have, he, you know, is a person that he'll miss a shot, miss a shot, you know, miss three, four in a row. It doesn't affect him. You know, it doesn't make him now run away from the ball. Like you see other guys do, you know, it, cause he can just sort of, you know, take that shot, move on. Right. He's not stuck back on, you know, why he missed that, that last shot, you know, he's just yeah. moving forward. You know, and balance allows you to do that. Opposite of Draymond Green, who I don't think's taken a three-point shot all season. Yeah. Yeah. No. For sure. Yeah. I mean, they're they're very different guys. Both very you know charismatic in their own ways. You know, but Steph is a guy that leads more by example. Um, he's balanced, you know, more emotionally, uh, whereas Draymond is fiery. You know, he's like leads the league in texts every you know every year. You know, and ejections. He he was ejected from that one game in the NBA Finals, that you know may have, been, may have swung you know <laughs> swung that series, you know. But but that's part of what you know his kind of leadership. You know, he's more of a lead. You know, a, a guy that I guess is a vocal leader, right? Whereas right. Steph leads by example, and both really very mentally tough guys, right? Mentally fit athletes, no doubt. But Draymond would be what we would call more of the sort of emotionally resilient uh, uh, athlete uh, from the standpoint that, you know, that's really the way that he actually is able to channel, you know, his energy on the court is through his emotions is actually in many ways an asset for him, you know, because he fires his team up. You know, Steve Curry says all the time that he's the kind of the heart and soul, the driving force behind that team. And it's true. He gets stuff going, you know, you could tell Steph, on the other hand, he's a very intellectually resilient athlete, right? Um, and he, he allows his intellect to really dictate, you know, what's happening on the court. Uh, and, 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 you know, and he has this ability to really lock in, right, in, in, in ways that are we've really never seen before. 
no, that's a great example. I think they complement each other perfectly. Like you said, like Draymond definitely is more vocal. Like he's he always tells people to keep their head up and to keep shooting. Like to James Wiseman, I remember uh, he wasn't doing that well and missing some layups. And then Draymond Green, like he was wired up. And then uh, you could hear him being like, all of us miss, uh, keep shooting and that type of thing. So yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. You guys also talked about communication. What is having... What does it look like to be a good communicator and vocal leader? Um, is it just verbal or is there a nonverbal communication as well? Well, oh, it's definitely, definitely yeah. verbal and nonverbal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and, and it, you, you know, we, we talk about this a lot in, a, in our program. You know, mindfulness is a multifaceted thing. And one of the, one of the aspects of it is, uh, you know, this notion of self-awareness right, and knowing who you are. And, uh, and that's so important because, like, think about a guy like Steph Curry. Uh, if he didn't have that strong self-awareness and he tried to be more of a vocal leader, it probably wouldn't work out too well. He may lose the team because that's not his strength, right? That's not, he's not going to impose himself very well in that type of format with being a, you know, a guy that's cursing people out and, you know, doing this and that, it, I just don't think it would work for him. That's not who he is. And I think he understands that. Um, I think he understands that he's the kind of guy that just kind of based on, frankly, you know, his build and, you know, kind of his size and, and how he looks and these different things, which he understands, you know, uh, he, he's going to have to allow his, his play to do the talking for him, you know, on the court. And, you know, that's why he shoots more than anybody else in practice. And, you know, and he's, he's, he's always going to be the guy that's going to be kind of putting in that work to let his, uh, yeah, his performance do the talking for him. Leader by example. Yeah. And so I, I'll piggyback on that by a, another person who leads by example. And we'll stick with the NBA references is like a Kawhi Leonard. He's not going to be your vocal guy who's going to give the pregame speech but he's going to lead by example he's going to bust his ass in practice and it's going to show in the game and then but you then you do have your your verbal leaders um you have the people that are going to um chew you out if you do something wrong like like a michael jordan or um if we're switching gears to a different sport maybe not someone who's going to chew you out but a vocal leader someone like drew Brees, the quarterback for the new orleans saints so Drew Brees, he's known for giving those rah-rah speeches before games. He's, he's someone that knows that he, he – and this is a guy that probably leads by example and also verbally as well. Um, but you have to know who you are. If, you, if you're the person who is social and likes to talk, then you're, you could be a verbal leader as, as along with leading by example. Let's look at specific coaches because I think this is important when you're a coach. You got someone who – you got your, your player's coach, like a Mike Tomlin for the Steelers – this is someone that's pro is going to obviously can make connections. And at the end of the day, when you communicate with someone, it's all about connecting with them. Mm -hmm. So you not only have to understand yourself, but you have to understand your team. You have to understand your teammates. You have to understand the players and learn how to best communicate with them. So at first it starts with self-awareness, but then it starts with that situational awareness and awareness yeah. of other people. So yeah. someone like Mike Tomlin is really going to dive in deep and really get to know his players, buddy up to them versus someone like Bill Belichick, who he's more someone that leads by, I want to say example with regards to results. He's oh, built yeah, this, this yeah. very efficient machine up in New England. And yeah, it's a, it's a won, system. It's exactly. A system. And 
he's not going to necessarily buddy up with you and create like deep everlasting relationships. Um, he doesn't have to do that though. He has this system that's produced what six Super Bowl championships or wait, five. How many does Tom Brady have? Tom Brady has six. You, you know how, how many Tom Brady has. Everybody, everybody knows so, how many Super Bowls Tom Brady so has. It, it, so <laughs> More he, than Peyton Manning. Exactly. So, but, so at, 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 yeah, Peyton's got two, though. At the end of the day, it, it's about knowing yourself and knowing how you best communicate and then playing to your strengths at the end of the day. All right. Talk to us about your mentorship program. I mean, not the mentorship program, the mental fitness program. And what are you guys thinking of? It sounds like it has a lot of potential. Yeah, man. Um, so the uh, this program is um, was, was conceptualized uh, really, I'd say for two reasons. Um, so Corey and I, huge sports fans, we developed uh, this podcast uh, that you mentioned earlier, and you know over the course of of just you know creating content, it's all original content. Um, you know, we just realized, man, that there's there's a lot here. I mean, there's a lot of stuff here. Like after the first year, we were like, we kind of have a legitimate, like, you know, kind of textbook, you know, most of, of, of information that if we could find a way to con- kind of consolidate this uh, and, and kind of operationalize it, that, you know, who knows, like it could be, it could be pretty cool. Um, and we started kind of talking to, to different people and, and some connections that Tori has. So <laughs> we, we linked up with this, um, a uh, program called the uh, Athletic Academy. This organization, you know, they have sort of like a, a one-stop shop for uh, young athletes, like at the junior level, uh, kind of coming up, who, you know, want uh, and need guidance for how to make it to the next level, whether it be uh, information about how the recruitment process works, uh, whether it's information about how to train, you know, how to eat right, you know, how to live and sleep right, and how to basically, um, you know, become a great athlete, like all the intangibles. Um, It's a great program. And they kind of approached us and they said, we need a mental health component, right? We need uh, mental health is is extremely important uh, to athletes. Everyone knows that now, right? It's, It's kind of becoming a thing that is really gaining traction. And they said, well, we, we can't have this program without a mental health component. And they, we were so fortunate that they asked us to, to be that for them. So we have uh, partnered with them. Um, and this program is a mental fitness program. But at the end of the day, it's really about uh, helping athletes understand how to uh, perform at their best with uh, stress management exercises, visualization uh, techniques, mindfulness, you know, techniques, and, and ultimately gratitude exercises that collectively can be built into their practice regimen, just like they practice with, you know, uh, their, uh, their sport and, you know, develop skills with their sport. You can do the same thing with mental fitness, you know, and the way that we teach it, the way that we approach it, uh, it, it really fits in like a playbook. And it's something that can be done efficiently. And that can be done in a way that's very empowering, you know, and, and really uh, kind of puts you ahead of the game 
in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Just to go, go on on that. Um, the, the Armin mentioned essentially most of it, but the foundational principles, I talked about it earlier when we were talking about how the mental fitness process, it's mindfulness. The, the foundation principles are mindfulness, gratitude, communication, and confidence. So you, it, we're going to have specific exercises geared towards developing mindfulness, specific exercises geared towards developing being grateful and gratitude, having gratitude, and then being able to learn your communication style, how you best communicate with other people, uh, because you know that's important in sports, whether individual or team sport, and then developing confidence at the end of the day, because that's that's extremely important. And all these things are geared towards, and this this will kind of resonate with athletes, getting you to be able to get into the flow state, into the zone a lot easier when you're playing. And these are things that, like Armin said, you practice alongside when you, when you go to football practice, you do, do these while you're practicing on the field or before practice or at bedtime, you, you incorporate these throughout your training. And by the time game day comes, you're ready to go. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, absolutely, um, 100% accurate. And, you know, the thing about it is that, um, so earlier I mentioned balance, right? Balance being like sort of one of the, the most important principles of resilience. Uh, the other term that we like to use is flexibility and, uh, and mental flexibility. And when, you're, when you have mental flexibility, what that means is that you're able to um, withstand change uh and and ultimately bounce right back right um Corey mentioned flow state so flow state is essentially like a heightened form of mindfulness and it's a form of mindfulness that really comes over time with practice uh with a resilient athlete um who has sort of become um i'd say proficient at this idea of mental flexibility. Because when you, you have mental flexibility, it really allows you to kind of lock into the moment. You know, we talked earlier about Steph Curry and how he locks into the moment. Well, it's because of the fact that, you know, the, the environment, the, you know, the situation, the crowd noise, the, the referees, the, the opponent, these different things, like the things that oftentimes will kind of get into the head of an athlete distracts them we call them distractors and you know things that kind of you know prevents you from performing at your best it doesn't affect guys like that the same way in fact you know if you listen to them they'll tell you they don't hear any of that stuff you know it's a completely they're you know really able to completely block those things out and just focus you know on the, the target and i've heard some athletes i think it's kobe bryant um may have once talked about how being in the zone is like, you know, you're throwing the ball. It's like an ocean or something. It's just, you can't, you can't miss. Um, that's flow state, but that's ultimately high level mental fitness is what that is. And that's something that can be achieved with practice and through a program the same way, again, like an athlete would practice to become a great shooter, great passer, 
um, you know, great at whatever they're doing, you have to practice and you have to have the right formula. And so that's what we're trying to create. Oh, wow. That's great. You guys touched on gr gratitude. Why is being grateful for what you have make you a better athlete? I love gratitude. So let me take this one. So there's several different gratitude practices you can do. Um, you could do a gratitude journal, write down three things you're grateful about that day before you go to bed. You could get up in the morning when you're brushing your teeth and look in the mirror and say something nice to yourself. The reason gratitude is important is because it creates a positive filter and it creates momentum to continue to move forward. And, and as athletes, we, you, you hear that all the time. It's like, there's that Michael Jordan saying, I don't, he, if I'm over 11, I'm going to keep shooting or Kobe Bryant has said it multiple times, just keep shooting. Forget about the last shot. You have to have a short-term memory. And that's where gratitude comes into play because a lot of athletes have these negative filters, which they dwell on their mistakes. And in order to move on and learn from your mistakes, that's when gratitude comes in because when you're, when you have that positive filter, you're more likely to take into take in the positive and it's positive re reinforcing when you say you go to practice and you have a couple drops, but you also catch a touchdown and it was a really great catch and your teammates get pumped up about it. So if you focus on those drops, you're going to be down in the dumps. But then if you focus on making that great catch, your teammates getting excited, that's going to be positively reinforcing for you to go into practice the next day. And that's going to create momentum, um, and excitement and enthusiasm. We know, we all know how important it is to be enthusiastic about your craft. So for me, that's the most important part aspect of gratitude is creating that positive filter, which can create momentum towards, um, your passion to the, for the game. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just right on. And then, um, one thing I'll add is, um, He's so Tori mentioned momentum, and I think it's important to kind of focus on how uh, it, it, it actually does this. So, you know, from high school physics that momentum is a vector force, right? So it requires, you know, direction and movement uh, in, a, in a defined direction, right? So um, gratitude is that is that move that force behind momentum. Because particularly we're talking about performance, because what we talk about mental fitness is the balance between mindfulness and gratitude, right? The balance of forces. Mindfulness is the self-awareness and the situational awareness. Um, but it's, it's really kind of a static, you know, more of a kind of an abstract thing, right? Like you're present minded and that's important. But in terms of really, you know, that, that force that's telling you to act upon what this is, you know, and kind of gives you that intention, that intentionality, that's gratitude, right? So gratitude is on the one hand, it's really about, we like these two terms are appreciation and acceptance, right? Appreciation and acceptance. And it's really a dual experience. It works in two. So it, it's, it's, it's appreciation and acceptance and, and it's kind of a passive and active experience. If you're not actively doing gratitude, right? If you're not demonstrating it, you're not, that's not real gratitude. Gratitude, that's what makes it kind of unique. Uh, that's why it, when you add it to the, men, the mindfulness equation, so to speak, you know, we talk about communication kind of being the, 
you know, what you're, what you're doing to really kind of put it all together, you know, like the way you speak, right? Vermont Green, the way you perform, you, the way you conduct yourself on the court, Steph Curry, right? Well, that's communication, but it's the mindfulness and the gratitude and the balance of the to- those, two, those two forces that puts it all together. Because the gratitude is, is that active principle that, you know, really uh, is kind of the special ingredient. And like, like Tori said, that, you know, generates that passion, the love for the game, the love for, you know, yourself in terms of the work that you're putting into making yourself the best you can be. And the love for your teammates, if it's a team sport, and you spread it all around. That that's what it's, oh, yeah. that's what happens. It, it definitely becomes infectious. I think if if you have that positive attitude, that appreciation for your craft and for your game, that's infectious. And if you play a team sport, that's just going to help your team better. You look at someone like Tom Brady, LeBron James, playing at peak levels, MVP type levels, well beyond thirties, forties. They're grateful to play a child's mm-hmm. game. Oh yeah, absolutely. They say it all the time. They're always thankful. They're always thanking their teammates, their coaches, have everybody gets praise. Um, they, you know, and, and that's that's what it. That's that's how gratitude kind of works. But then there's this other layer of gratitude that's kind of the the X factor, right? Which is you're not always going to win, right? You, even you know Michael Jordan talks about this all the time. Like you miss however many shots, you know, and so you fail. X number of times he missed several game winning shots, just like he made a few, right? He missed more than he made. Um, but with gratitude, you, you accept what happened, right? You accept that that happened and you move on, mm-hmm. right? You move forward and that's power. Like that is actually us as, as individuals, as people, as athletes being able to, to gain power over, the situation, right? Mind over matter, as they say. That's yeah. it right there. Is like that happened, but I can still be great. I can still move forward. I'm not gonna yeah. worry about that. I'm moving yeah. forward. I'm moving you, on. You bring a you bring a positive mindset towards your mistakes. So you're not ignoring your mistakes. You bring that positive attitude towards your mistakes, you're a lot more likely to learn from them and move that's forward. Right. So that's yeah, how you get you guys, that balance. That's how you get that yeah. balance. Mm-hmm. You guys put it great because I feel like gratitude, you don't really, when you think of sports, you don't think of gratitude and being grateful, but you guys connected the dots great. And I love the examples you guys gave. So my last question would be for those younger athletes out there, what is your biggest advice um, regarding mental fitness, sports psychology, or anything we talked about today? Well, um, you know, I think that with, uh, so Kevin Love you know, he's a Cleveland Cavaliers basketball player. Uh, for those of you don't, who don't know, uh, he was uh, the part of the big three in Cleveland back in 2016 when they won that, that championship. Now he's kind of old vet, um, but what he's done is uh, he's uh, really embraced mental health um, and he has like a foundation that, um, you know, he, he's putting a lot of effort into and we, you know, I'm, I follow him on social media, so I'm often seeing those posts. And um, one of the things that he seems to be really championing, championing, wow, that's a, that's a really hard word. He seems to be really championing is um, this, uh, this idea of, of, you know, 
really speaking up, you know, like uh, using your voice, you know, being, uh, being willing to talk about how you feel um, and not being afraid. And, and really, this is a, an individual issue, but also kind of a locker room issue too, like a team issue because you should be able to rely on your teammates, uh, you know, to be able to, to speak your mind, right? You know, and, and say how you really feel in that locker room, right? It's supposed to be like kind of a circle of trust, safe space, whatever. Um, and I think that a lot of athletes historically have never, excuse me, a lot of athletes historically have not felt like they could really say how they truly feel uh, and be vulnerable, right, with their teammates which I think is unfortunate um, because that's a really important component to mental health. We talked about communication, communication, communication. And that's what it really means is like being able to really get it out of your mind, out of your chest, off your chest, so to speak, you know, and, um, and get it out there so that, you know, it's out there, it's, we're honest, you know, we, we know where we are and we work through it. You know, that's what team is all about. That's what, you know, um, you know, I think, uh, being able to, to, to communicate in a safe space is all about. And if you can't do that with your teammates, you know, where you can, can you do it? So I, I that's what I, I encourage athletes um, and every, everybody, it's just part of my practice, our practice, but um, I just encourage athletes to, to, you know, don't be afraid to be vulnerable, be open uh, and, and communicate with, with each other. And, and, you know, that's yeah. Yeah, I love that. I was gonna I was gonna say something similar. Yeah. Be open, be open, be vulnerable with any physical or mental or emotional challenges you're having. And and don't be afraid to lean on your teammates, lean on your coaches, lean on people you trust because they can help you out. Um, and more specifically, set set goals as a young athlete. Set short-term mm -hmm. and long-term goals and be open about those goals to people you trust, to teammates, to coaches. Um and be open to any criticism, embrace the suck, embrace the hard work, yep. embrace the challenge, embrace the challenge, because yep. it's going to be difficult. Um, yeah. at, the, at the end of the day, you'll be better for it in the end. Don't know That's great advice. Yeah. I mean, do you guys have anything else you'd like to share? I think you guys have great uh, advice and insights. Anything else? Um, yeah. I mean, just, Beyond that, you know, uh, I did want to mention that, um, and it's something I actually meant to say earlier. Um, so I'm glad I'll say, I'm glad I have the opportunity to say it now, but you know, a lot of people probably wonder, um, you know, you guys are psychiatrists. What is kind of the, the difference, you know, between you guys and what psychologists do? Um, and, uh, you mentioned sports psychology, and I know you talk a lot about sports psychology. And I think, you know, as a psychiatrist and you know, maybe, you know, Tori's a, a child psychiatrist, I think what, uh, what we bring is um, just kind of another dimension. That's all, right? So uh, we're all mental health professionals. Uh, we all, uh, you know, study the, you know, the mind and how it works and how it functions and all of that. You know, we do therapy. I personally, you know, my, my private practice is, is, is really rooted in psychotherapy as, a, as kind of a foundation of the treatment. But um, having gone to medical school and, you know, having a very 
uh, significant appreciation also for the body, for neuroscience, um, for uh, medical practice and, and all of that. The other dimension that we bring is this idea of biology and, and, and how biology and how the body, you know, and how, uh, you know, even disease, right? And medical illness, substance addictions, um, eating disorders, uh, you, know, you name it. There's so many different things that are medical problems, sleep disorders, you know, even just beyond depression, anxiety, you know, the quote unquote mental illness issues. There's just a lot of different issues that athletes may face. Uh, and a psychiatrist is one that can kind of put it all together um, and give you a broad analysis of how it all works together to impact mental health. Uh, and, you know, it's not just about prescribing medicine. It's just kind of more about the analysis and, and kind of putting all the pieces together to kind of give you the bigger picture and, and you know, a more holistic treatment plan. Or anything you'd like to add on? Last thing I say is, I'll say is a lot of us who, who play sports, who love sports, we love competition, we love competing against other people and comparing. And with that, you're comparing yourself constantly too caught up into that at the end of the day and focus. And obviously you want to win versus lose. You want to be, you want to be successful in your craft. But at the end of the day, what's going to translate off the field, off the court is if you continue, you're in competition with yourself. You continue to try to get better. And you you can you do that by, I'm sh I I my my free throw percentage gets better from my freshman year to my sophomore year, my my split times when I'm running the 400 meter gets better from my junior year to my senior year. That put that competition with yourself above any other competition because ultimately you just want to be the best you can be. So that's that's, right. that's what I'll leave you with. That's great advice. Yeah, I love um, what you guys both said, and hopefully athletes out there will take that and put that knowledge into play and yeah thank you guys for joining me and i thought it was super productive and glad to connect again had and fun man touch. yeah no this is great yeah man yeah man i feel grateful for being on your podcast dude. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm gonna link your socials and anything you want in the description just let me know and yeah. we should be good to go absolutely well yeah we're going to continue the conversation of course Thanks for listening to the Minazan Sports Podcast. Before you leave, please show some love for the podcast by subscribing, liking, and commenting. Stay tuned for next month's podcast with a new guest speaker.